Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. I'm Vanessa Hawkins, and joining Amber and me back today are Mary Carraza and Katie Driver. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Thank you for coming back to help us study chapters three and five of Acts. All right. So y'all are familiar with this. You introduced yourselves last time, Mm -hmm. but in case somebody missed it, go ahead and give a very brief introduction of yourself. And we're going to answer the first things first question. This time, the first things first question is describe the first time you went to a theme park. What did you enjoy and what did you dislike? And I came up with this because I feel like everybody's going to Disney right now. I don't know about (laughs) y'all, but everybody knows going to Disney. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. just me. But anyway, so Katie, kick us off. Okay, sure. So I'm Katie Driver and married to Chris, two kids, 16, 18. I feel like I'm being redundant after saying that just last week. Um, But Ethan's graduating from high school this year and Sarah is a sophomore in high school. Um, And we're longtime members of First Press. So theme parks. I, y'all, I love, I love theme parks. So when I go to Universal or Disney, I'm going to get there when the park opens. I will be there when the fireworks end and I want to do it over and over again for five days and talk about it all the way home and make a photo album about that it. That is amazing. Really? Oh, that is impressive. I don't wow. think I know that about no, I, I don't, I can't you explain have it. You plan to a T too, don't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I want to go with you if I ever go. I love it. Yes. It. So, um, the first time I went to my family with Disney, I think I was about five years old. And my biggest memory from that trip is that I got separated from my parents oh, goodness. outside of It's a Small World. Mm-hmm. And so I had this epic story of being lost that I told for many years. I was probably in reality separated from them from about, for about two minutes, <laughs> but it's, it felt like a <laughs> lifetime. Um, but I also loved the Pirates of the Caribbean. The cool breeze you feel when you enter the tunnel mm. and the little whoosh of mm. the boat mm-hmm. that gives you butterflies. Um, Peter Pan also made a big impression, and I love the <laughs> Haunted Mansion. So those were the big first impressions when mm. I was a little girl, but mm. I love I love theme parks. That was so fun. That is fun. <laughs> those are very particular. I was just yeah. was thinking when you were saying that a small world became a really big world. Oh, yes. 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 Big, scary world. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, I'm Mary Carraza, and uh, since last week, I'm still married to Chris, and we still have all four of our children. That's a relief. Yeah, That's I know. Joy, it's been a long week. Joy is nine, Evangeline is seven, Caleb is five, and Kit is two. Um, and let's see, we, my family, I'm a, from a really large family, and we did not do theme parks. for. We traveled mm-hmm. a lot um, and went to a lot of cool places, but no theme parks. Um, but the closest thing probably, I have been to Disney as an adult a couple times, Um Closest thing probably was I, in first or second grade, did some kind of fundraising thing and won tickets to a water park. Mm. And um, it was a big deal because my parents were, again, not taking us. Um, I think we were in seminary at the time, so there was no, my parents were. Um, anyways, no money. So it's really exciting. <laughs> my dad takes me, uh, like I said, probably like seven, and my little sister, who's five. And it was um, a water park we could see from the car on our way to church every week. So yeah. we had been drooling over it for probably <laughs> at least a year or two. 
And we're so excited. It's like the pinnacle of happiness at that stage of our life. (laughs) And we go and it's all that we thought it would be, all the slides, everything. And then it ended real badly because I um, went out in the wave pool. I got ahead of my dad and my sister and I could swim, but I got real overwhelmed with the waves. Mm. And I was starting to feel a little scared looking back to see if my dad was going to get to me fast enough. And then a lifeguard jumped in and grabbed me and I was more embarrassed than I can communicate. I still remember the shame of this kid that looked really old and mature but he was probably like 16 um, to my little seven-year-old self jumped in grabbed me and was in my my memory is he was full of really obnoxious self-importance and I remember <laughs> saying like I was fine I can't believe you how embarrassing like why did you grab me out of the water my dad was right there and I still remember like I guess because of you know I don't know fear of litigation or something they had us like we had to go sit in this office and see the manager and oh get checked out for first day I mean I was totally fine I was not drowning I was just a little panicked <laughs> Um, but in anyways, I was, I just remember thinking like, I would have rather drowned than have you <laughs> jump in the water in front of the entire world oh, and pull me out. Um, definitely some issues there. Um, and then so much so that it ruined, I would not let my sister talk about that day ever again or tell the other siblings like what the water park was like. So anyways, I've had some good times at other theme parks later. <laughs> But it, it was not a good start there. Oh, Mary, honey. I feel like we may owe you counseling. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm already there. I feel like I need to pay you for entertainment because I'm out there and smiling. Hilarious. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then every time you rode to church, you had to be reminded. Oh, I would, I would make my sibling, I would say, hey, y'all, look at that. And have them p- look out the other window. Because I did not, because Mary, before, wow. we always commented about the water park and I couldn't be reminded. I That's just hysterical. Oh, I know. That is really funny. That Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> okay, well, I think the first time I went to a, a theme park that I remember was Disney. And my boys are going to grow up with your same story because we haven't taken our boys to Disney. And so they may go as an adult. Uh, it was really fun going as an adult for this Yeah, yeah I think it will I be. Still love it. I, I could take them now at this age and think I'd have a good time. But the idea of, of, of wandering around Disney with little people just was too overwhelming to me. I if felt- you had been my guide, Katie, <laughs> I would do it. If you, if you would go as my guide. But I did go as a child, and the fun for me is my dad's a daredevil, mm-hmm. and he has two girls. He played a lot of sports, did all that kind of thing. And so I grew up a tomboy, anyway, enjoying those things. And, you know, you want to make your dad proud. So I wanted to ride every roller coaster and show that I could do it. So that was <laughs> part of the fun for me, is riding on the scary roller coasters and finding that they actually were fun, but sort of getting over that fear. Mm. You know what it's like, click. Click, click, yes, click, 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 going up, up and you're waiting, 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 drop. And love just, it. Yeah. That feel, you love it. You love that feeling. You love everything. Um, so, yeah. Space I don't know Mountain. what's wrong with you people. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. The things I did not like crowds. I'm not a crowd fan. I don't like lines and I don't like heat. Uh, so, those things mm-hmm. at Disney sometimes to me yeah. are, are no goes, but yeah. I love uh, I love the fun of it. Mm. Other than that. So Vanessa, no. I like for, for my you? lunch to stay in my. Stomach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Outside of it, it's just it's not. It's yeah, not your lunch outside of your stomach, it's just not. Mm-hmm. I can cool. see that. I can see yeah, that. That's not cool. Um, but what I used to like was it was you know I guess it would be lame by my kids' standards because it's not like Daredevil. You know, Katie Driver would take <laughs> go on the you know roller coasters and such no do not turn me upside down don't (laughs) shake me don't none of that no no i'm good so um 
this water flume. It was uh, the water log is what it was called. And so when we were kids, I, I grew up in Arkansas. Um, Hot Springs was probably, I don't know, two and a half, three hours away, but it felt like an all day trip, you know, as a kid. It just felt like a long car trip. And, we, and I'm the youngest of nine. So it was all of us packed in this car. Uh, it was great fun. All the snacks mom had packed. And, you know, that was that was always fun. Um, but my ride that I loved was the water log. And it, it, there was some of the clicking to the top, but it was pretty predictable, <laughs> pretty mild. It wasn't going to turn me over or do any of those things that you know made my feet go above my head. I, I wasn't having that. Nope, none of that. None of that. So uh, just lots of twists and turns, lots of movement in water parks. And guess what? Lots of movement, lots of twists and turns. Uh, in the book of Acts, uh, lots of great movement in the, some of the stories that we're going to recount today, just in chapters three and five. The spirit is at work in the life of his church. Mm. And so today we're going to look at a bit some of those. Chapter three starts right out the gate with Peter and John healing a, a lame beggar moves into Peter preaching this fiery sermon. Mm. And a little bit later in Acts 3, and just with such boldness and with such power, we get to Acts 5 and we learn about Ananias and Sapphira. And they're lying to the spirit about um, what they had given. And so uh, lots of deep um, examples and representations of the spirit at work in his church, as well as lots of miracles that point to this inbreaking kingdom of God that is being announced with each of these miracles. Mm-hmm. It is definitely a packed two chapters. And if you're listening and you haven't read these chapters, definitely invite you to do that because what we're going to say is going to have more importance to you if you have already gotten in the scriptures yourself. And I'm going to just talk briefly about the f- the healing of the layman between Peter and John uh, that Peter and John did at the beginning of Acts chapter 3 and really it's coming off of Pentecost has come Holy Spirit has come this is what we've we've been talking about in the, in the last podcast episode we see the power of the spirit to embolden believers to proclaim the wonderful works of God and all of these souls uh, coming to Christ to be believers in Jesus and you see just this spirit of community of love of empowerment of boldness all of this is going on and and a lot of times what they would do is they would go to worship together they would pray together Mm -hmm. they would break bread together and they would go to worship together one of these times peter and john on their way past the gate called beautiful and sitting at this gate is a man who has been lame from birth and it says that the people somebody doesn't define who brings him but every day they bring him and they set him there in order to receive alms and alms would have been like a religious sort of donation a religious merciful act that people would do and so this man was placed there so that other people could perform a religious act and in that sense i'd never thought about this but he was mm-hmm. a commodity for them he was something that they could deliver something to and feel good about themselves mm-hmm. or their acts of mercy but He was never ultimately taken care of. He came back day after day after day. He received just enough, but not enough to really transform his life. And then comes Peter and John and they're walking past and they see this man, which I love. They see him Mm -hmm. and they tell him, look at us. In other words, they're giving him dignity. They're humanizing him. And when he does, it says that he looks at them expecting to receive something and most likely expecting to receive alms. 
And Peter says, you silver and gold I don't have, which was significant because they're in the temple or the gate called beautiful. It was ornate silver and gold. I don't have this, but what I have, mm-hmm. I give to you mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And it's this picture of Peter helping him up and he leaps up immediately. His feet, his ankles are healed. And can you imagine just, it doesn't mention anything about the rest of his muscles in his body, but right. if your body doesn't know yeah. how to walk your whole life, right? all right. those other muscles don't know how to walk either. Even if yeah. your feet and your ankles, are, it's just this utter transformation mm-hmm. yes. of his whole self. And he begins uh, leaping and praising God and giving thanks. And it just, it's amazing. And the people around are amazed and they direct their amazement to Peter and John. And Peter and John say, why do you look at us? Like somehow by our power or our piety, we did this, but no, this was done in the name of Jesus. So Mm -hmm. it's this powerful, again, display of it's not us, it's Jesus. He's doing these works. We are the vehicles through which he's doing them. Mm -hmm. To him belongs the praise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you read that encounter, and you studied it. How did looking at that, how Peter and John encountered that lame man, how did it change the way you viewed your or our church's service to those who are in physical need? Yeah, so I think it's easy to forget that God's intent is not just to redeem our souls and our minds, but our bodies. And so um, when we are meeting people's physical needs were really demonstrating his priorities. I think it's one of the things we see here in this passage. Um, So I'm a nurse practitioner and work at Christ Community. um, And Robert Campbell, our medical director, recently encouraged us in the coming year that as we work, yes, to work with excellence, but to really do so um, with an explicit confession of who Christ is. Mm. And I would appreciate our, our, our clinic, but certainly myself as a provider there, um, your prayers for that, just that we'll, we would boldly share the gospel as we care for people. And I think in this passage, we see the impact that that has on the whole kingdom as, um, as people are cared for, not just well, but in Christ's name. And so, yeah, I definitely love your prayer for that. Mm. I was struck by, um, I mean, we, I think what really grabs our attention, I remember it as a child, like the little song that gets sung about um, this event. What grabs your attention is his miraculous healing mm-hmm. of his physical needs. Um, but the connection with he, his physical needs were not met with, they were met as evidence of his spiritual need having been mm-hmm. met. Like it's clear from the passage that it was the gift of faith in Christ that caused all of his healing. Like they were, um, Peter and John were not focused on just one or the other. They didn't ignore his spiritual needs to just meet his crisis mm-hmm. of physical need. And they didn't ignore his physical needs to just focus on his spiritual needs. That's good. Um, but that, the, like the word holistic comes to mind, um, that in this story we see both together. You know, it's not always the, I'm sure in your clinic experience, you don't frequently have miraculous healing and someone comes to faith in your office every <laughs> single time together. But Happy in this, we get to see that picture mm-hmm. that that is ultimately what the Lord is restoring mm. in all of his children, all of his church that he calls is to bring about spiritual um, restoration um, and physical restoration. Um, and so thinking about that question, um, how the story could um, impact the way we view um, service to those with physical needs or the church's service, it's just that you don't 
we should never um, prioritize one above the other, really. Like, we have deep spiritual needs, we have deep physical needs, and the Lord is meeting us both. And every interaction or encounter or activity or ministry won't necessarily focus on both equally, but from um, a holistic perspective, like, we are called, and the Lord is doing both things, even if, you know, on um, this side of heaven and this side of the, the kingdom being totally fulfilled, we won't see full restoration, but that is what the resurrection is pointing yeah. to. We'll get new bodies and now we can experience new life spiritually. Yeah. Mm. I think what really got my attention um, was verse four, where it says, and Peter directed his gaze. Mm. Yes. And a gaze is a, is different than a glance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's looking at this man with great intentionality Mm-hmm. And I think about um, a gaze bringing knowing. Yeah. A, a glance, you can just kind of pass something, but a gaze. I mean, when I think I set my gaze on God. I'm, I'm de- determined to know him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Peter is setting his gaze on this man so that he can understand the need. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes setting our gaze on need can make us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So we're not willing to give that. Mm-hmm. It's easier to just glance mm-hmm. at personal need. It's, it's easier sometimes to just glance at need that makes us uncomfortable. But Peter was committed to a gaze. He dignified and humanized him by gazing and then inviting his gaze mm-hmm. on him right. because yeah. what he had to show him would move him past his current situation uh, into something um, eternal. He would address the physical as well as um, the spiritual And I love that about Peter. Now, so this is a a kinder, gentler Peter we see here. (laughs) But as we move on into the next few verses by verse 11, Peter is preaching um, a sermon and he is bringing deep conviction and actually accusation to those who are standing there um, and saying, men of Israel, uh, you denied the holy and righteous one. You killed the author of life. And if you've not read this, you almost expect, okay, so then someone hit Peter upside the head. Okay, then Peter got up off the ground. I mean, you you expect something to happen to Peter. But when we're talking about the spirit being at work, he was actually emboldened and empowered by the spirit to speak bold truth. He comes back and grants grace saying, I know that you acted in ignorance. But he, he give, he's given it to them. But then he comes back and gives them grace. And then he tells them, repent. And then you can enter a time of refreshing. You can, he shows them the way to get the grace that he, the, the grace that Christ longs to give to mm-hmm. them. So um, I love this sermon. All right. So throughout chapters three and five, and here in Peter's sermon in particular, we see forgiveness offered and accepted. We see that with the lame man. We see him accepted. But how does the following quote from George Robertson challenge you in regard to your response to forgiveness? Listen to this quote. George says, don't take the gift of forgiveness lightly. It must transform you into an energetic worshiper a fearless witness and a very compassionate person toward other sinners. And if you do not know that forgiveness, then don't quit praying for the gift of repentance until God assures you of it. Hmm. I think I'm just confronted with um, how I do take this gift lightly, how I can take it for granted um, and just moving along in the busyness of life. Um, 
thinking about the quote, it challenged me, challenges me to think, well, am I an energetic worshiper? Mm-hmm. Um, am I a fearful, a fearless witness? <laughs> Maybe I'm a fearful witness, fearless witness. Am I a very compassionate person? And so I was just thinking through those three components of the quote and, um, trying to think how, um, how to not take the gift of forgiveness lightly and what are the ways the Lord, um, helps, helps with that. And I just think, um, worship is one of the ways that, um, that I am kept from taking it for granted, um, because we're just confronted in our liturgy and the order of worship I find so valuable. Like Sunday, um, every Sunday that comes around feels like, um, a confrontation of, okay, this is what life is really about. Um, I am a sinner in great need of grace and here it is offered here. I have the opportunity Mm -hmm. to draw near, to confess my sin, to be assured of the pardon that I have in Christ. Um, and I always leave energized Mm -hmm. or usually anyways. Um, and I, and so it's this, it's kind of interesting to think, how am I, or am I an energetic worshiper and realize, well, worship is one of the things that makes me an energetic yeah. worshiper mm. and prevents me from taking the gift of forgiveness lightly. Cause, um, if I can be distracted and not thinking about my need of a savior and, um, the grace that I'm living in with this gift of forgiveness every week, I'm getting slapped upside the head with mm. it, um, in a really good way. Um, and then the other part, how does it transform us into a fearless witness? Um, I mean, if we really, if we're especially reading this passage, thinking of the fresh, fresh experience of grace and forgiveness that those 3000 who are hearing mm-hmm. the sermon and the, just the power of the spirit at work, all that the change brought about and transformation in their lives in the, um, lame man who is healed by Peter and John. Um, it's just clear that that is the natural response. Like what have we to fear? Our deepest problem has been answered here. Mm. You know, our deepest issue was we were, um, you know, alienated from God and we could do nothing to save ourselves. And here we have been forgiven and made right. And, um, you know, I wrestle with that. Like, why am I not more fearless? Cause mm-hmm. I know that's true. Um, and it should mean there's really nothing, there's nothing man can do to me and nothing I can fear. And so I'm not, not out there mm-hmm. telling everybody about Jesus. And, um, and it has reminded me that, um, this feels a little silly and mundane, but just there's such a, in the sort of season of life I'm in with little people and homeschooling, it can feel, um, I think one of the things I fear is not getting it all done. Mm-hmm. And so I see interruptions to what I think are how our day should be going as a threat to the comfort and security I'm trying to get for myself by checking things off a list mm-hmm. and making sure people are schooled and there's, you know, food to eat and clean clothes. And just thinking like, oh goodness, I can, I don't have to fear and worry about, it sounds silly because they're, they should be fearing imprisonment and beatings and death, but, (laughs) but really I can recognize that in, um, that's one place where I can remember to not take the gift of forgiveness lightly. None of these other things are as important as this interruption. If it's an opportunity to remind my children that they have the opportunity to grab hold of this gift of forgiveness and that I have it, I don't have to fear not getting my stuff done or them not being educated or all those things. So, um, and then obviously the, the overflow of experiencing the gift of forgiveness, not taking it for granted or taking it lightly is that we've got to be compassionate towards other Mm -hmm. people who are just like us. And, um, I definitely think see application for that with my children to have patience with all of their sin and all of their, um, seeming slow to learn and, um, 
and just need to look in the mirror more often and be like, Oh my goodness, I've been forgiven mm-hmm. of all the same and more. And, um, and well, that should move me to more compassion. Right. Yeah. I think as you're saying that Mary, I, I see kind of two sides to this too. We can either take it too lightly, um, mm-hmm. and not recognize, um, take it for granted, or we can almost refuse to accept it and continue to condemn our, ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so um, my hope is that more and more as I understand God's acceptance and forgiveness, I'll receive it and not get stuck in the shame of my own shortcomings. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a tendency to be kind of hard of my, on myself and have been kind of learning that just because I have that bent doesn't mean I can't learn to let that go. Um and show myself the same compassion that the Lord shows me, recognizing that really not doing so is almost an insult to his mm. grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so this this comparison of repentance to shame, you know, repentance sets us free. Shame causes us to hide and ruminate. Repentance motivates us, reconciles us to each other, but shame paralyzes and isolates Repentance is a gift from God, while shame is really just a tool of the enemy. And Mm. so understanding those distinctions, I think, is really valuable when I think about not taking forgiveness lightly. Yeah, that's so helpful. Mm -hmm. That is so good. I I resonate with what both of y'all are saying and the fact that sometimes we can see what we really think of forgiveness by feeling our lack in those areas, lack Mm -hmm. of compassion, um, lack of boldness Mm -hmm. to be a witness lack of desire to worship I do think that there's have been in my mind often lately just saying why am I so slow to praise mm-hmm. why am I so slow to witness mm-hmm. why am I what what is not motivating me here and I tend to be somebody who likes to talk myself into you should mm-hmm. I mean you should worship look at all of this you have to be grateful you should be compassionate look at all that you've been forgiven you should and I should but I can't talk myself into it Mm. and I think what I love about George's quote here is he says keep praying for it until the Lord grants it Mm -hmm. and that's hard for me to realize to really just go to the Lord in prayer and ask for mercy and say Lord seal this to my heart because I would like to take ownership of that's right now I have convinced myself and I'm not saying that we never speak truth to ourselves because absolutely we do and it makes a difference but I can't change my heart ultimately Mm -hmm. I mean the spirit really does do things in me I can't talk myself into and so I think it was just a reminder to me to yes speak correctly hear what I'm saying take you know ownership of my thoughts absolutely but simultaneously praying that the Lord would do that work in me and Mm -hmm. I have been asking that and seeing little ways in which he is Mm-hmm. And I say little ways, not that he's a little God that works in little ways, but I tend to think <laughs> I ask, come on, rain it down. And from here on out, I've got it, right? Uh, That's the yeah, whole idea. Yeah. But just that he's, he's committed to doing that in his yeah. time and in his way and in his purpose and for my good and just how he sees fit. So yeah. it was encouraging to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, after Peter preaches this very um, weighty or, uh, you know, you said it, uh, controversial in a sense or a convicting sermon, a lot of people repent and yes. they believe it's yes. not let's cut off Peter's head and rip out his tongue. <laughs> it's yes. And, and, and part of that is that witness of the healing right there before their eyes. You have the, this, cut to the heart, this assurance. Says. Yeah. They cut to the heart yeah. and they believed. Mm-hmm. And 
And yet the religious authorities of the day, the religious people who should have been the religious leaders um, who should have known the Lord, who should have recognized Jesus, who absolutely did not, did not want him, did not want what he had to offer, did not want who he claimed to be. They don't want anything. They do not want Peter and John proclaiming this name. Mm -hmm. They want to tamp it down. And so they bring Peter and John in initial time. They ask, look, what's going on with this lame man? What did you do? You know, and then they say, well, it was in Jesus's name that we healed him. And Peter pretty much delivers a similar type sermon. And Mm -hmm. this is the one that you crucified. Mm -hmm. And instead of repent and believe, they're mad, um, fired up, but they can't figure out what to do with them because the people have just seen this great miracle. So they're forced to let them go. And all sorts of great things continue to happen. Peter and John are doing many miraculous works and it's spreading. And it says that they are filled, the religious rulers are filled with jealousy and they bring them back in again and they interrogate them again. And what I found interesting is that when Peter and John were released the first time and they know they're probably going back, mm-hmm. you know, they go to their friends and they pray together and they pray through a psalm that talks about the Lord's sovereignty over the rulers of the earth mm-hmm. and the nations. Why do the nations rage mm-hmm. and why do the people's plot in vain? And they just name it. Lord, you know, here in this place, um, Gentiles and believers alike have raged against your name. They have plotted against you. And yet this is what you are doing. This these restorative acts through Jesus. And so while this goes on, while we are oppressed, while there is um, people opposed to us, continue doing your good work. And would you pray that we would have the courage to speak boldly? And I love that because they knew they had something to be afraid of. It wasn't mm-hmm. like they're like, oh, no big deal. Did. It's fine. I mean, they, they knew. Yeah. They knew it was costly. They knew it would be hard. And they go back in and they are brought back in again and they say the exact same thing, Mm -hmm. knowing what those rulers can do to them. And they end up releasing them again. And it's almost comical that they're trying to be the authority figure. But if you read this account and you really need to, it's so apparent that they have zero control Mm -hmm. at all. But they're acting like they have all of it. And it's just... It's sad in some ways, it's pathetic in some ways, and it's wonderful to see, yeah, why do the nations and rulers plot in vain against yeah. the Lord mm-hmm. and his Holy One? Because he is in absolute control. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it does give us courage to read these true accounts and to recognize that the same God who is with them and sovereignly ordained everything that was going on there is with us. And they did display remarkable courage in the face of opposition. Yeah. And they, it was marked by their faith in Jesus's promise to them and steadfast obedience to the commands that he gave them. And the question is, what's God calling you today that will take a similar type of courage? And you know, before you answer that, if you're listening and you hear that question, you think, oh my gosh, I don't know. I'm not being called <laughs> to do anything nearly close to that. And it helped me and in, in, in George's study, he said something to the effect of, it doesn't matter how your act of boldness compares with anyone else's. What matters is that you're attempting it for the sake of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So ladies, what are y'all attempting for yeah. the sake of the kingdom today that is requiring courage? Yeah, I like you kind of needed a little qualifier to say, well, what are we talking about? Are we mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> talking yeah. about standing up in the middle of the city or what are we talking about? Yeah. Um, but coming back to just um, my own personal life, there has been something recently that's required some courage and maybe not the boldness to speak as much as the boldness to be quiet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, Chris and I have had a lot of decision making to do together in recent years, and we just we don't always agree. Um, and I was very graciously told a few months back by a mentor that I'm being called to trust God and not just 
Chris when we disagree. And that doesn't mean my opinion isn't valuable or it shouldn't be shared or considered. But at the end of the day, even if I am, quote, I'm putting quotes in the air, right, I can release my will and trust my husband and my heavenly father. And that was something, of course, that I knew. But on the day that this was, um, I was being encouraged to do this, it just felt different. I heard it differently. I felt it differently. The Every word she spoke was very, just felt very punctuated. And um, as her eyes pierced mine, the room really absolutely felt electric. It's hard to explain, but I know that it was the Lord's spirit And even as I cried and pushed back, um, an extraordinary peace began to fill my heart and just a realization, freedom, a sense of God's presence with me. And that's what made the difference. So when I think about being being bold or having courage, I think the only way that we really can do it well (laughs) um, is when God does it for us, Mm. you know, and he gives us his presence. So, um, you know, I'd rather do things my way. Mm. But ultimately, this whole um, time period, it strengthened my marriage by bolstering the support my husband feels for me by giving him the confidence to serve his family well, which actually can encourages him to consider my viewpoint more, knowing I'm not going to try to shove something down his throat. Um, and so, you know, it's a demonstration of my faith in him as a leader of our home, but ultimately, even more so my faith in, in the Lord. And that's where our courage comes from. I mm. think it's just our, our faith mm-hmm. in who he is um, and his sovereignty in our lives and our family's lives. Mm. Yeah, it's a good word. Um, I thought about, I also was thinking, like y'all, like, what are we talking about here? Yeah. Um, and I think the verse that talks about um, the parable when those who've been Oh, help me out here. Faithful with a little will be trusted with more. I think mm-hmm. I just butchered that. Um, but just that George's quote, it does not matter how your act of boldness compares with anyone else's. What matters is you're attempting it for the sake of the kingdom and that all of it is done in the Lord's strength. Mm-hmm. And one way we kind of can access a means of grace in doing that, whether the thing that we're facing is just a mundane daily challenge or something bigger like what you're describing Katie or um, um, just um, obedience seeming like too hard like it's going to be too hard is just doing what I think the apostles did which was remember all God's promises remember who he was and kind of claim and cling to that because um, these apostles that are showing all this courage were Peter and all the other apostles that not long ago deserted Jesus Um, And they weren't even, I feel like, being faced with quite as much. um, There wasn't as much on the line then, maybe, as there was here. It was at least um, just very similar experiences, totally different responses. And I think the big difference that you see is that they are just clinging to the Lord. And then the other big difference, obviously, is that they have received the gift of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to what we talked about maybe in the previous podcast of the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and active and working in them. And they've received that in a particular way. And we also have received that Mm -hmm. in a particular way, this side of Pentecost. So, um, the question of what is God calling you to today that will take a similar type of courage. And I think for me today, it really is just daily obedience and faithfulness and remembering that it's not in my own strength and courage, but it is in the Lord and thinking about how impossible it would have seemed to us if we'd looked at this little group of apostles 
before Jesus' death and resurrection to have, I mean, they couldn't even stay awake with him. I mean, they did not have courage. They did not have spines. And isn't that encouraging? Because what we see the difference being is not that they like huddled together and motivated each other and, you know, went through some kind of improvement course, but the spirit, it was just the spirit's presence before they did not have it after in this very bold example that we see, they did mm-hmm. have it. And that's encouraging to me to think, oh, you know what? I have that same spirit. So whatever the thing is today, whatever the next thing will be, um, that's true for all of us. It's the spirit who brings courage and enables us to be obedient in all kinds of challenging situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. And we need him to help us be obedient in all types of situations, uh, particularly as I was thinking about this. I thought more about the um, the broader culture mm. and just the polarizing times in which we live. Mm-hmm. And being a bold witness in such polarizing times is a daunting task. Mm-hmm. If you're teaching um, the gospel or if you're trying to be any type of conveyor of truth, um, when, you know, truth can be so relative yes. um, in, in this setting. And so it's just even in standing to talk to people or to teach, it's as though people are looking for a category by which they can disqualify you mm-hmm. or cancel you or to dismiss you. And so for me, just having needing boldness and I have a kind of a bold personality, just, you know, that that's just my personality, but needing boldness for this season uh, and having an instructed tongue and, and seasoned speech just that allows the gospel to get a hearing mm-hmm. uh, that that I don't say things that I, mean, I don't want to compromise the gospel or water it down in any way, shape or form. Um, but I want to be wise in my speech such that I don't disqualify the gospel yes. from being heard yeah. mm-hmm. just by, you know, whatever category you sense that I'm in, whether I'm, you know, you think I'm a mask wearer or not. You can't hear me because I'm one or the other, or I'm a vaxxer or anti-vaxxer or my social political views or Mm -hmm. whatever that Mm -hmm. is, but desperately wanting Mm -hmm. uh, to be wise in my speech. And, And we are called to be bold witnesses, full of grace, recognizing our own deep need for the Lord's kindness and mercy and being diligent about extending that kindness and grace Mm -hmm. to others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And with that note of encouragement, we hope you will join us again next week. Let us join you while you fold laundry or sort through your junk drawer. (laughs) Super fun, right? (laughs) Ann Morris and Mallory Click will be joining us to talk about Acts chapter 7, verses 20 through 60, and the promises of God that give us hope in difficult times. If you want to see the pretty faces of our guests today, you can check us out on our Women's Bible Study Facebook page at Women's Bible Study FPCA, or find us on the gram at First Pres Augusta Women. We hope you'll listen in. (laughs) 